This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at standupwithatruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ, the remnant of truth proclaimers and defenders. Thank you so much for tuning in. So much to get to today, but I want to remind you, Monday, we've got a very special podcast. We are going to be talking about something that you don't hear a lot about, and that is human trafficking in America. We'll talk about the southern border. We're going to talk actually to a trafficking survivor. She will be with us Monday for the first half of the podcast. And friends, unfortunately, the second half of the podcast, we've got to address what's happening in our culture, the... um, Really, the the anarchy, the philosophy behind LGBTQ plus um, Pride Month. I've got so many notes here, they're flying everywhere. Uh, Let me just show you or or let you hear a couple headlines. The U.S. Embassy to the Vatican celebrates and flies the rainbow flag for Pride Month. Um, Another one, I've got a brand new article on this topic on delusion, pregnant men, preferred pronouns. Um, there's, There's so many things we need... Target. Did you see Target, the the clothing line they came out with to celebrate Pride? So we're just not talking about in June. Um, We're talking about all year round. But in June, they take it up a notch. Also, this promotion has had consequences. Barna has found that among the age group of 18 to 24-year-olds, about 39% now self-identify as LGBTQ. We're also going to talk about how this whole transgender thing got started. So we're going to go back and revisit the transgender timeline. And friends, it goes back to, I believe, 1952. I've documented that in one of my books. Also, in Oregon, um, according to a new poll, the governor there um, is kind of off the rails. They just passed what they call the Menstrual, Menstrual Dignity Act. So local taxpayers are now on the hook for thousands of new tampon dispensers in boys' bathrooms. This is happening. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit uh, more about that and and why it's happening and why we let it get to this point. Um, Also, uh, the second half of the podcast today, we are going to talk about some disturbing accusations of Christian nationalism, lumping in those who believe the Bible with domestic terrorists and uh, we're going to define what nationalism is. What what's Christian nationalism? Well, um, we're going to really clarify that it came up on the View as they were talking about God, guns, and Christian nationalism. But first, um, I want to remind you, redpillprints.com, redpillprints. They put up a page for us. I haven't mentioned it in several weeks, I think, but we would really love for you to go visit the page. They've got a whole. Almost 24 items, Stand Up For The Truth gear from T-shirts. And uh, here I'm showing, by the way, we're on Facebook Live. There's the coffee mug. We've got one uh, black, one white, a Stand Up For The Truth mug. Uh, You can get yours there, Uh, sweatshirts, hoodies, and hats. So check that out, please. If you forgot, redpillprints.com. Go to standupforthetruth.com and just click on Merch the word at the top of the page. So today, Elijah Abraham is back in America. He's, of course, a teacher of pastors and evangelist, and he's with Living Oasis Ministries. We're going to get an update on his international travels and uh, on on all he's experienced for about three weeks overseas. Elijah, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth, brother. Good morning, brother. It's always uh, great to be with you. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's great to be back in the U.S. Yes. Yeah, so you're, are you settled? I know it's been a few weeks, I think, back. Are you settled into Texas and American life? Yeah, I got back uh, May 13th after three and a half weeks uh, into five countries. So, yeah, I'm back into the old good barbecue and uh, uh, steaks uh, land. <laughs> so... It's all good. <laughs> so that's something we really don't think a lot about when people travel overseas and how that your diet changes. And does does that affect you? Is there any way to prepare for that before you go on such, oh, such a long goodness. trip? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it depends on the region, which uh, which region in the world that I go to. Sometimes I go to regions I lose weight. Sometimes I gain weight. In this <laughs> trip, in this trip, I gained weight because the food is just good. They're very hospitable. <laughs> And they always have all that incredible bread and pastries and dessert after each meal. 
and it's kind of hard to resist. But also, uh, they push it on you. So, so part of the culture, you know, you do what the culture does, you know, what they do. And uh, these are wonderful believers. We had a great, great time, great fellowship with. Well, so what uh, if you could give, we'll talk more in depth because we're going to take the first part of the podcast and just talk about your trip and the comparisons between American Christianity and what you experienced over there. Uh, what would be a few bullet points, a few takeaways, and was this trip different from, from previous trips over there? Well, it's, it's really it's a blessing for me to experience um, different people around the world, different cultures, but really different uh, churches and believers from all of these uh, countries and these cultures. And of course, uh, you know, Christians, they adapt to their own culture certain ways, but the biblical values, biblical, uh, biblical culture is the same no matter where you go around the world. Hmm. Uh, so that's, that's really a blessing. This trip is different. Um, and the reason for that, because we, as a ministry and calling in our, in, in our ministry, we never done humanitarian work, um, you know, around the world. Uh, but because of the Ukrainian refugee crisis, the Lord has put it in our hearts, uh, to help the churches, uh, in the countries that are bordering uh, Ukraine uh, to deal with the refugees. And so really the majority of this trip was uh, doing that, uh, helping uh, these uh, pastors, encouraging pastors, uh, preaching these churches. Uh, and every church I preached at, there were Ukrainian refugees. We went to refugee centers and uh, preached to them. Uh, it was was really uh, very emotional. Mm. Uh, trip for me, um, and we could talk a little bit yes. more details about that. But it's been it was really good. Well, Elijah, um, let's. I think a lot of people want to know a little bit more about Ukraine, and we only hear what the, uh, well, uh, the biased uh, liberal media right. reports. We don't get the inside story on whether it's their government or about the people, how they are affected, how the church there is affected. Can you give us a little bit more of information there? Well, uh, propaganda is everywhere. Uh, we yes, have definitely yes. been immersed in propaganda in the United States. Propaganda, and uh, let, let me back up a little bit. Yep. The countries I visited, um, I went to Romania, Bulgaria, Greece, Moldova, and Switzerland. So when I, when I talk about propaganda, not just here in the United States, but in every country I visited, uh, and it's interesting, it's kind of unison, all, every country I've visited, including the United States, have the same narrative. Uh, the narrative is, uh, it's all Russia's fault, it's all Putin's fault, we are the innocent guy, we're the good guys. Yeah. And far, that's far from the truth. Mm. Uh, I mean, I hate to burst every, anybody's bubbles, but um, I visited with people who escaped Ukraine, and they are the ones who basically expressed and told me that um, that the Ukrainian president is not a good guy. They have the Azov uh, regiment or uh, brigade or whatever you want to call them. They are Nazis, and they have been terrorizing uh, Ukrainian citizens really since 2014. The war really started back in 2014. Wow. Under the watchful eye of Obama um, with Crimea. Um, mm -hmm. And the issue with Crimea was not because Putin, uh, just for a land grab, he was defending and uh, giving life to the people who lived there who were basically ethnic Russians, but they live in Ukraine just like we have ethnic Chinese and um, Hispanics and so forth. Um, they have the same thing over there. Um, the, the, you, what do you call them? The, um, the Nazi brigade uh, and the Ukrainian government have cut off water uh, supplies into your, uh, Crimea wow. and, and other regions. So they were desperate. Um, and um, that, so that's one aspect of that. There's multiple layers of that war, what's going on. So uh, that's one aspect. So Putin what? wanted to basically open a corridor to, you know, take care of these people. Second problem, uh, they did tell me, they said, um, the 
the election that happened uh, in Ukraine with the Zelensky, it was basically a coup. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have uh, overthrown a democratically elected president uh, back then, even be- the one before Zelensky as well, because yeah. the one before him, he was corrupt as well. Yeah. Um, and the last two presidents, including Zelensky, is basically globalist with yep. the economic world uh Forum. Can we can we pause right there, Elijah, and just yeah. just emphasize the fact that Zelensky is a disciple of the World Economic Forum, and he, one of his mentors is Canada's Emperor Justin Trudeau. So we, I agree. We, he locks arms with the globalists, and we have to separate when we're talking about this, especially from a biblical perspective. We've got to separate the Christians and the Church in the Ukraine, right. and right. the innocent people who are hurting from right. the government and from the agenda there. Go ahead, please. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. And it's interesting, people like Zelensky, who was just a um, flamboyant uh, comedian, actor, whatever he was doing, <laughs> entertainer. Yes. You can see that on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> hardly have any wealth. All of a sudden, he's a multimillionaire, and he's mm-hmm. got $35 million mansion in Florida. Uh, so where did, where did that come from? Just wow. like we have a lot of our politicians, they go to Washington with hardly anything. They came out multimillionaires. Mm. So it's the same thing over there. The corruption is amazing there. So so that's one aspect. But the other aspect is Ukraine has been a, a center or a hub for sex trafficking as well as child trafficking. Um, mm. Ukraine. Uh, that Ukraine. Wow. So that has been an issue. Mm. The other issue is uh, you, it's a money laundering uh, center for the elite, not just in the United States, but the globalists, uh, but especially from the United States politicians. They basically stealing from taxpayers, uh, go through Ukraine and Ukraine, turn it around and pay these politicians that, you know, come back to them. Um, mm. So that has been also a problem. But the one that has been... Um, a concern for Russia for the last 15, 20 years, they kept telling NATO, do not continue to come eastward. Uh, and But they did. Hmm. And now they are at the border uh, with 26 biological labs uh, funded by the United States, biological weapon labs funded hmm. by the United States. And the United States initially, the White House initially declined it or denied it. But when the evidence came out, they said, well, yeah, we do have and we found a button for weapons. But evidence apparently, um, you know, pointing the finger at us, at, at America, which really breaks my heart. Like, I thought, wait a minute, all these years, I thought we were the good guys. Yeah. Uh, to a certain extent, we are. But unfortunately, we have leadership has uh, really used evil things, evil means um, to be part of the globalist. Uh, agenda to enslave humanity globally. So, so Ukraine smack in the middle of all of that, it being a playground for the globalists, mm-hmm. a playground for Washington, D.C. Again, I'm not talking about America and American people. Yes. I'm talking about the corrupt political machine that yeah. we have. Yes, because re- let's um, refresh everybody's memory. Biden signed a $40 billion package to, quote, right. help Ukraine fight Russia. And the aid now, for, according to USA Today, uh, Ukraine, it could hit $53 billion, the money we are giving our taxpayer dollars it going to a global government. Well, that, that's that's on top of what they already sent before I, even my trip, and supposedly a big portion of that to go to help the refugees. I was there, did not see a penny of that from the United States government to help these refugees. Amazing. So, but not surprising. It, yeah. No, it, it does not surprise me at all. Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, these poor countries like Moldova and Romania, especially Moldova, it's the poorest country in Europe. They did fantastic job to help these refugees. Uh, and not just them, but you're talking about the church really kind of stepped up to the plate and the Christians stepped up to the plate to help the refugees. Did you say so, Moldova helped yeah. Ukrainian, one of the poorest countries over there, yes. Moldova, helped yes. Ukrainian refugees? Am I hearing oh, that right? Big time. Oh, absolutely, big time. Um, they, the, It's a small country, small population, but per capita, they have taken more refugees than any country in, 
in Europe. Wow. Um, and mm-hmm. not just not just settled, but the initial impact. The interest, most of the refugees they kind of they want to go in Western Europe, so they became a hub. Moldova, Romania, and Poland became hubs to go to Western Europe or to go to Canada or to go to the United States or other other countries. But there are a lot of uh, thousands of uh, refugees settled uh, or stayed in these countries because they said, we don't want to go to the West. We just want to go back home. So they are temporarily given, um, you know, work permits. Uh, these countries help them find jobs, uh, a place to stay uh, until the things settle down and they could go back to Ukraine. Mm. Um, so... Uh, Putin did not want NATO to encroach. They did with Romania. Uh, Romania now is a member of NATO. So is uh, Poland. Um, but he specifically, basically, he put his foot down about Ukraine. I don't want uh, Ukraine to be a part of NATO. I don't want them to be part of the Uni- uh, European Union. Well, and they kept pushing for that. Mm. Um, so... When he invaded, look, I'm not here a fan of Putin either. I'm not defending him. I'm not promoting him. I'm just telling you why he did what he did and what Ukraine it is, it's been like. It's been a cesspool for evil. Um, and the people seen it. The refugees have seen it and know it. And most of the refugees, they say we escaped not because of Russia, but because, uh, you know, Ukrainian army or that Nazi brigade kept shelling us and we had to escape hmm. so they they know you know what's going on in the ground uh but of course you've got refugees they they say oh it's because of russia well uh that's true russia did what they need to do and unfortunately you got people uh the refugees are uh, stuck in the middle of both sides so civilians always pay the highest price unfortunately hmm. and now we've seen that in middle east in iraq and syria um, so that's it's the sad part of the whole um, ordeal and the war. Yes, the globalists do not care about the refugees or human loss. Yeah, the Washington does not care about the human loss. I mean, here they are; they wanted and complaining about not you know what happened in Texas, but they never lift a finger to protect the unborn child. So the hypocrisy is amazing. Great point. So. I'm not saying that what happened or belittling what happened in Texas and the school shooting, that's awful, that's evil. And this young this young man, this 18-year-old man, was demented. He was possessed by a demon, but also he was groomed uh, to do such acts. And the evidence now slowly but surely coming out that he was groomed by uh, the globalists. Um, and I keep saying globalists because even our people here, uh, who are managing our country, unfortunately, they are bent to do whatever it takes to make America submissive to the global government and make America just like any other country. What do you think is happening with the food supply or with the gas, with the inflation, with all of that? It's all intentional to yes. bring America to the level of just like third world countries so they can be managed by a handful of globalists. Yep. So we as Christians, and I'm I always trying to help believers, not just around the world, but here in America, uh, we need to back off and instead of looking at the within five, six um, feet around us, look at it from a big perspective, from 35,000 feet above the ground, and look at the big picture. What is going on globally? And globally, we have a satanic movement globally yes. that it's bent to enslave humanity and reduce human population by 7 billion people. So they want only 1 billion people to stay alive and they want to execute 7 billion people. Hmm. And there is a video, I'm sure you've seen it, with Pfizer CEO Bragan about uh, his dream was to reduce the population by a uh, world population by 50 percent uh, by year 2023 wow. he said now now we have achieved it i got the video uh, if you like i will i will be glad to send email it to you or text it to you uh, in his own mouth so they already know what they're trying to do and they have a plan to execute it 
And we as Christians, we've been sleeping at the helm. And the reason I keep saying we, the Christians, I cannot blame the unbelievers. Hmm. The unbelievers are already in darkness. Yes. We are children of light. As children Good of point. light, we need to be the light of the world, salt of the earth, not just on the spiritual realm, but on the physical realm. On the physical realm, we need to see what these globalists are doing with our nation, politicians. So I'm talking about politicians anywhere from city council to the local ISD, to the state, to the, to the federal. We need to hold these people accountable, but the church, what I mean church, I'm not talking about you know, uh, Second Baptist or Methodist. No, I'm not talking about denominations. I'm talking about the body of Christ, the people, the believers, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Hmm. We have been disengaged yes. uh, from the culture. And the reason for that, because we have been taught since the 50s, separation of church and state, which is unconstitutional and unbiblical, uh, that we should not be engaged in the culture or in the arts or in politics or whatever it is, or in the finance as well. So as a result of that, look what what, what it got us. We've got uh, to take our first the, break, Elijah. But yeah, yep. the second biggest lie in America, the separation of church and state. We're going to learn more about Elijah's trip overseas. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about Moldova. I'd love to hear about Greece and uh, Christians there and how they are looking at world events. As we know, governments do not always do what's best for their people. And then we're going to talk about how even at the Associated Press, they're saying Christian nationalism is on the rise in some GOP campaigns. More with Elijah Abraham coming right up. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest is Elijah Abraham, just spent three and a half weeks overseas, Romania, Bulgaria, Moldova, Ukraine, Greece, and Geneva. Um, as soon as we're done uh, talking about his trip and just you know some observations that he can share that really give us some insight, um, we will be talking about these um, how Christian nationalism is being employed as a derogatory term. And there was even a segment on the liberal cackling ladies on The View about God, guns, and Christian nationalism that's ignited a pretty interesting debate. But we've got to address it because they're throwing accusations out there and lumping Christians in with this. So, Elijah, um, I think we left off. Uh, did we leave off? Uh, we, did we talk about Romania yet? No, not yet. Well, no. So go wherever you'd like, sir. <laughs> Well, um, the reason this trip happened, because I was in Romania, Moldova, uh, and Switzerland in December, uh, November, December, and I was not expected to go. Uh, but uh, because of the passes that I teach on a regular basis uh, through Zoom, uh, if I'm not there live in front of them, I do it monthly through Zoom, continuous education and training and equipping and discipling. Um, they could not meet anymore because they said we're overwhelmed and here are the, we are up to their, after our eyeballs with this. We got so much refugees. We don't have enough, the, enough resources to feed them, to clothe them. And they, when they arrive, they arrive in the winter. And believe me, winter is bad over there. And the, because of the global inflation of, um, economies as well as the cost of fuel, it became very, very difficult to keep these people warm. Uh, so, mm-hmm. And that's when uh, the Lord impressed in our hearts, um, my wife and I, and our ministry to to help. So we appealed to our people in our newsletter uh, to donate uh, to the refugee fund. And you know what? God just blessed. Initially, I was going to raise only $10,000, but the Lord um, provided almost $25,000. Wow. And people. And people still want to give. That's great. So we already dispersed eighteen thousand, and uh, and I wanted to go to see that the funds being distributed and being used accurately and correctly, because hundred percent of the funds went to the need needs of the refugees. And they d- and our and they don't ahead. often get there when when people give to organizations. To, in the, hopefully they are helping other nations. They don't often get to the people in need, as we've seen from 
all this money we, you know, you, the government sent to Ukraine. It's not helping the people. You had firsthand witnesses that were from Ukraine that fleed there. Uh, and here, you, your organization and others could be trusted to take the funds and give it to the people or help the people that are in need. That's a big distinction, but people have a hard time discerning who to give money to when they really want to help. Can you give any insight to those who, uh, who want to give to help? Yeah, that's that's a really um, look. We're not the only ones who are really doing it. Uh, I would say hundred um, percent of the funds raised into the need. Um, there are some, and God bless them, praise the Lord for them. But unfortunately, there are some uh, who have such a big, huge overhead mm. that uh, they that's take it. a big chunk of uh, the funds being raised, mm. anywhere uh, twenty to up to forty percent of the funds sometimes higher, uh, that goes to admin stuff. For me, I don't have any admin stuff. It's just me and my wife. So um, uh, that's why we can do the 100%. Hmm. um, You know, every penny that is being given to such designation. And and I always tell people, so if you want to give to that, please make sure if you donate online, put it on the comment box, Ukraine uh, Refugee Fund. <clears throat> and we make sure designated. If it's not designated, then it goes to our ministry. Okay. So, uh, and that's what we have done. And when I went there, I made sure uh, that the funds has been. And I asked all kind of questions to these pastors that we help support to ref, uh, meet the need uh, of the refugees. I took pictures uh, of all the supplies being bought and uh, pictures of the refugees using the, the stuff that we have helped buy. Uh, for anywhere from clothing to food to water to mattresses, blankets, shoes, uh, also utility bills because uh, they need heat, they need uh, you know lights and so forth. So uh, praise the Lord uh, with our ministry, uh, we have um, helped and sustained over a thousand. Uh, refugees with as little as you know what we have raised that's uh, that's, that's tremendous for and it's really huge for our ministry so praise the lord for that um so also while i was there um even though we raised almost twenty five thousand, but only we have uh, distributed eighteen thousand. Mm-hmm. i wanted to hang on to the rest until i see what's on the ground and while i was on the ground I have met other pastors, and they are doing tremendous job. And I, then I made a commitment that we will help them. So to uh, we're going to continue supporting the effort there because it's really nonstop. Praise God. Um, so it's it's a blessing. Now here's something about the refugees. Sure. The majority of the refugees are women and children. I would say about ninety eight percent of the refugees are women and children. Wow. And out of the 98%, 60 to 70% are children. Mm. And because the Ukraine, Ukrainian government will not allow men to leave, except there's one exception, only if you are a father and a husband, a father of three children or more. Huh. If, you, if you have less than three children, you cannot leave. What, so what do, they, some, go, what do they have to do? Ahead. They can't leave? Well, yeah, they they are they stay there to be uh, in the uh, enlisted in the army okay. to fight mm. to fight the Russians, and that's how how it is over there. Mm. Um, and I'm telling you, the sad part about this is that these women constantly in shock, constantly praying, uh, mm. uh, crying, and they uh, I would say half of them they will not even want to leave their room. Hmm. Uh, they just the depression is amazing. The only thing the only thing they do when they the only reason they leave the room is to go to the dining hall to eat and go back to their room. So that that's I have encountered that. Our, uh, so let me back up a little bit. You asked me about Romania. Yes. When I first went to Romania, I have some ministry partners there. Uh, we went uh, to a couple of refugee. Uh, centers, one of which is operated by CREW, which is Campus Crusade uh, Center. Uh, and they do a fantastic job over there. And it's basically that center is a transition 
for those who um, want to go to either settle in Romania or go to Western Europe. When, if they go to Western Europe, they buy them tickets, either train tickets or bus tickets, give them a little bit extra cash, for, and they give them food for the journey, and water, and uh, some maybe some connections and ministries that meet them wherever their final destination. Mm. So they've been really great. Um, those who stay, uh, the Christian uh, businessmen help them find jobs, help them find apartments, and they pay for like two months uh, worth of rent until they uh, they are sustain you know self sustaining. Mm -hmm. The government uh, in Moldova as well as in Romania have been very uh, cooperative to give these refugees those who want to stay temporarily, give them work permits uh, so they can work and uh, you know pay rent and live and so forth until things calm down. So that's mm -hmm. been really good. That's good. However, the the need is tremendous. Um, I mean, they try, even Campus Crusade, they have, uh, or crew, I keep calling them Campus Crusade, <laughs> uh, crew of Romania in that center, they have land and they want to put uh, portable housing, uh, but it'll cost, it will cost like $150,000. They already have raised $60,000. So they are halfway through. Um, so that's a prayer they asked us to pray for them. And it's interesting, the people who are uh, the couple who are um, uh, spearheading the refugee uh, ministry in Romania, they were uh, the heads of crew of U Ukraine in Odessa. So they are refugees themselves, but they came to Romania and they are ministering to their own people when they come to that center. Um, also, while I was in Romania, um, I taught in uh, multiple churches, but also I have a great relationship with the dean of the Baptist seminary there in Bucharest. So he and I drove into Bulgaria hmm. for one day to do one day uh, seminar for uh, believers, churches, uh, Bulgarian, Turkish speaking uh, churches. Uh, and these are basically, uh, they settled after the Ottoman Empire. They still speak Turkish, of course, Bulgarian as well. They are all from Muslim background. But they, even though they're from Muslim background, they live among Muslim community. They don't know how to reach their own people because they know nothing about Islam itself, even when they were Muslims. So I did a conference for a one-day seminar teaching on apologetics and Muslim evangelism. Just give them a taste of what we could do to help them. And they were gracious enough to invite me to come back again That's uh, and do more extensive teaching. So Lord willing, uh, sometime next year, we will do that. Wow. Um, so <laughs> after coming back to, Roma uh, to Romania, I did some house, uh, there are some house churches. Uh, we got together with them and, and just fellowship with them, but also teach. I remember uh, one, uh, meaning they said oh, well we will take you about an hour or so if you could teach well the hour turned to four hours because of their questions that doesn't surprise it me. was oh, it was wonderful wonderful fellowship and yeah. they just love the lord mm. they were anxious because while i was there um uh, putin has threatened romania and moldova um uh, not to help the west or nato um, mm. so that's, there's always there at the edge of threat of war. Um, then I, after that, I flew to Greece. Greece is still in the infancy for us as far as ministry. Uh, it was a, a trial or test, if you want to call that. Mm -hmm. I did a weekend conference, uh, met some pastors, developed relationships, networking, um, just show them kind of basically some of the teaching that we could offer. Um, and we'll see where the Lord leads on that. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, and, and we'll talk about the, the status of the, of the Christians in that region, but I want to give you the overview of the trip. Okay. Um, and after that, went to Moldova. In Moldova, uh, again, um, due to our um, network and ministry and relationship that the Lord has uh, opened back in 2019, um, uh, the pastors that I have uh, taught and loved on and prayed with, uh, there were about 70 of them in uh, at least six or seven cities. Um, they are, each one of them, involved in uh, ministering to refugees. 
they have refugees in their churches. They have refugees in their homes. Uh, there are some uh, denominations like the Baptists there. They have a huge encampment uh, where they have dorms and so forth. So in that encampment, they have close to about 300 refugees. Um, the uh, university, the theological, uh, what is it, theological, um, University of Theological Education in uh, the capital city, they have a dorm as well. And they have approximately 98 refugees. Um, again, wow. when I say refugees, keep in mind, they're just women and children. Wow. There are, I did not meet any men. Maybe one old man wow. was there. That's amazing. Um, amazing. Here's something that really touched me. Um, when, I, my, when I first got to, Rome, uh, to Moldova, uh, the next day, uh, we drove to that encampment, uh, the Baptist encampment, to speak to these 280 refugees. And they told me, they said, it has to be the right time during dinner time, because otherwise we're not going to get all of them there. I said, okay. So I'm in the car headed that way, my driver, young man, and, and I'm just praying. It's okay, Lord, where do I start? You know, how, how can I uh, get their attention? How can I, what do I do? Uh, because they just in shock. They have a post-traumatic syndrome. Uh, they lost loved ones. They lost their homes. They, they have nothing to go back to. Where do I start? So I'm texting my wife. I said, pray, pray for me because I'm really struggling. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and as I'm praying on the highway and God just smacked me in the head, it's like, you know, dummy, what, what are you doing? You have every opportunity to share with them because you forgot where you came from. You were a refugee from Iraq. You survived a war. There were bombs in your neighborhood, hmm. airplanes flying over your heads. You can associate with them. Start hmm. from there. Wow. I said, oh, my goodness. I, yeah, that, that, I forgot. <laughs> me. So, so when I first met them and they introduced me um, and they said, this brother and the Christians in America uh, helped pay for your food, for your clothing, for the books. For, and when they heard this, and of course, through translation, they all start crying and they start clapping and they start saying, thank you, thank you, thank mm, you. Praise God. So that was re that's what really touched my heart. And then the, when I first started talking to them, I said, okay, um, I just want to let you know I can associate and I totally understand with your loneliness, with your loss, with your uh, detachment from your homeland, uh, with the uh, separation of your loved ones, with the fear mm. that you have to go through. Mm. Because I was a refugee. I lived through all of this because I was born in Baghdad, Iraq. When I said this and through the translation, that's when the Lord really got their attention and they stopped focusing on what I'm, I'm saying. Praise God. That's Brother, I just went through the scripture. I just opened my Bible and I just helped them understand mm. why we here, why God created us, why God loved us, what he's done to save us. And um, in spite of all these wars, this is all temporary. All Amen. of this is going to be gone. Amen. You have to think about eternal life. Amen. And I'm telling you, they were just sobbing. Uh, the women just keep wiping their face from from the you know the tears and um, and just kept saying thank you. So after we prayed together with them and encouraged them, and afterwards, the two women came to me. That really touched me. Two women came to me. That can we take a picture with you? I said absolutely. One woman on my right side, she was 91 years old, could hardly walk. And when I saw her, I said, okay, Lord, how did she get through the, the border? How did she get here? Uh, because it was not easy. And the lady on my left was 76 years old. So I'm middle of them. They're shorter than me. And I kept feeling the 91-year-old woman putting her head on my chest. It kept Aww. kissing my chest and saying, thank you, thank you. Mm. That wow. really touched me. Um, Went to other uh, refi uh, we've, city. We've, we've uh, actually got to take a break, uh, Elijah. Yep. We've got to uh, come back and uh, finish up. Uh, just get the wrap up on your trip and uh, then to address this troubling issue on those who are using Christian nationalism as an attack on believers and on conservatives. That's coming up. We'll define it. We'll clarify more with Elijah Abraham. Livingoasis.org is his website. More in just a minute on Stand Up for the Truth. 
Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. So Elijah Abraham is our guest, and he spent three and a half weeks overseas in many of these countries we've been talking about. But what I think some people might want to know, Elijah, how, how what's different there when it comes to the pandemic and how governments are handling it? And how are believers, uh, Christians in these different countries that you visited, dealing with the pandemic issues? Well, um, just before I answer that, as a final, the ministry side of things, we had one woman uh, got saved. Her name is Natasha. And um, that's a, a praise. We all also seen some children. There's one particular boy that I cannot, I took a picture of him and could not remember. I will never forget him because he was in trauma. He would not talk to anybody. Mm. He um, withdrawn. He only respond to the pastor. So children mm. going through a really difficult time, uh, you know, over there. Um, back to your question. Uh, I was there uh, when they still have restrictions in Europe uh, for the pandemic uh, in December, November, December. So I went to Eastern Europe as well as Western Europe all in one trip. Uh, Eastern Europe, Moldova and Romania, a whole lot more relaxed. Uh, restri- you know, the, the population, not just the Christians, but the population could care less about masks. Uh, they did not want to have their government, uh, you know, do... Um, uh, very much uh, oppressive uh, mandates. Um, so I felt a whole lot uh, more freer in Eastern Europe. Then I go to Switzerland. Uh, that was again in December. Uh, it was really uh, people were at, at edge, even though yeah. people were tired of it, but they yeah. were at edge. Um, they would not even go to a coffee shop uh, or mm-hmm. other places. So this trip, um, Western Europe, um, for example, uh, Switzerland, they dropped all the mandates, um, you know, f- the, the vaccine mandate, the uh, masks mandate, uh, testing mandates, all of that is gone in Switzerland. Uh, Greece, uh, they, um, they still have some of the mandates of only certain areas, but they, they, everybody will say, oh, um, in two weeks, the government promised that they're going to drop it, and they did. However, here's the, the sad situation about some of the um, uh, people there, not just the Christians, but others. Um, those who did not want to abide by some of the rules or mandate, the government started taxing them uh, individually. Um, like one uh, brother in uh, the church I preached at and did the conference in Greece, uh, he said, I'm a retired teacher. Uh, but the government want to char- uh, tax me a uh, hundred euros a month uh, because I don't want to take the vaccine or wow. I don't want to I don't want to uh, put my mask on. Uh, and he said I have not paid it so far. Um, he said, well, he said there are some lawyers uh, and from Athens trying to help us. So and he was telling me all of this, and he <clears throat> he's crying. He, you know, I could see the burden and the pressure of the oppressed governments uh, that what they can do to people. And I think that's where we in America, we need to be very vigilant uh, for not giving the government an inch over our freedoms, whether it be uh, freedom of speech or religious liberty at all. We yeah. should not give them an inch because you give them an inch, they're going to take 10 miles. We've seen and that. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the governments are very well known. They will never give your freedom back. You have to fight for your freedom. Yeah. Uh, so they, uh, the more they take, uh, you know, the more they keep. They will never give it to, back to you. And I grew up in a country where we had no freedoms in Iraq under Saddam Hussein. And I understand what freedom is all about. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I mean, the way <laughs> <laughs> you, I've been in your show multiple times, multiple years, and you know where I stand and, and how I feel about my freedoms and religious liberties in America. Yes. And I speak out trying to do everything I can to defend it uh, because I know what it means when you lose it. And when you lose it, uh, you're a slave. You have no choice. Mm. And that's where we're headed. Uh, We have not fought back enough, and we'll see what happens in the coming days, months, and years. 
Um, but Elijah, we've got to take a little turn now. We've got less than 10 sure. minutes left, and we've got to address some of these disturbing articles that I've been seeing. Let's define nationalism first. And I just want to say that critics are claiming, some are claiming, quote, Christian nationalism when there's just the slightest connection between a person, like a, a p- political candidate's faith, and his or her political or social views. So they say, oh, you're a pro-life or whatever. Oh, you're a Christian nationalist. Now, nationalism is just a sense of loyalty and commitment to one's country. It, right. in, it includes a belief that the country ought to self-govern and appreciation for our culture in America, our language, traditions, uh, music, history, uh, achievements. That's There's nothing wrong with that. So nationalism is rarely used um, as a criticism without qualification. So now we've got a problem. More accusations are coming up about Christian nationalism. Let me set this one up for you. First, uh, Doug Mastriano won Pennsylvania's Republican gubernatorial primary this month. He opened his remarks by evoking Scripture. Um, God uses the foolish to confound the wise, and and he um, has woven his conservative Christian beliefs and symbols into the campaign. And Nancy Pelosi uses Scripture, of course, out of context, but no one ever accuses her of being a Christian nationalist. But this is an Associated Press article I'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute, but it says Christian nationalism is on the rise in some GOP campaigns. So they're putting it out there like this is dangerous. This is something that you have to look for, out for. So just your thoughts right off the top, Elijah. Well, you're absolutely right as far as nationalists. I am a nationalist because I'm an American citizen and I love America. And I want America to survive and succeed. And not just for me, but for my children and hopefully my great children, great, great grandchildren. Uh, Lord willing, once they get married, then I'll, I'll have children, so the grandkids. Mm. Um, so being a nationalist is not a bad thing, but you need to understand this is, has been a campaign for globalism, not nationalism. And it's been, uh, it, this campaign has been around at least 100 years, mm. uh, and it's getting worse and worse. And as you know, now it's in full uh, speed ahead, and they are not, not ashamed of it. They are pushing it down our throats. And whether we like it or not, that's how it is. That's what the Great Reset is all about. So for someone like Trump or you (laughs) or me that says, uh, make America great again, and they go ballistic. Wait a minute. Yeah, they they want to destroy America, not make it great. Absolutely. So here they are, American politicians, American politicians, go ballistic for saying, uh, no, I don't want America to be great. Then... That should mm. awaken the American people. So, wait a minute. If he's an American politician <laughs> or she American politician, they don't want America great. So, what are they there for in D.C. Yep. other than being an anti-American? Yeah. So, nationalism, it's a great thing. When I was in Iraq, growing up in Iraq, I was taught to love Iraq because I'm an Iraqi at the time. And I was proud of our heritage and our history, over 5,000-year history. So I was proud of that. That's nationalism. Yep. But my oh, my loyalty is really not to Iraq. I've been in America now over 35 years. Uh, I'm an American. My kids are Americans. My wife an American. I, lo- I love being an American. I love the culture. I love the food. I love the freedoms that we have. Yes. So why do I want to have my country be submissive to a global governance that will tell us how to live according to their liking mm-hmm. or what should food I should have, what kind of car I should have. So these are the things that nationalism is good for. Now, Christian nationalism, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that, you know, they came up with that definition. That's kind of more or less uh, a stupid title as well, far as I'm concerned. Well, it, it's, it's attacking those who want to see a biblical morality or Christian exactly. influence. Influence exactly. in our culture. What is influence? Salt and light. And by the way, Mastriano, exactly. this guy in Pennsylvania, said he, he has called the separation of church and state a myth. And I say a big amen, but what some amen. are doing on the left is they're trying to put us all in one camp if we want, believe in, and approve of biblical morality and want to see a more moral culture, whether that be government, Hollywood, uh, the education system, they would say, oh, you want a theocracy, you want to force your 
faith on everybody. We're not forcing anything. We are we are called exactly. as Christians to live in such a way, and biblical values are that method. Well, you need to understand they are uh, what they try. That basically, with that kind of title, they want a secularist uh, politicians or people yes. to run for office. They don't want anybody with any belief system uh, to uh, to run for. Um, you know, for for government, they don't want someone have good moral values or a standard to live by. They want someone who then who's an atheist, who has no value for human life. He's a secularist or she's a secularist. That's the one that they will admire, they will promote. But for someone who has values, biblical, especially biblical values, they're mm-hmm. not going to attack a Muslim politician, that's for sure. They're <laughs> not going to attack a Mormon bo- politician like Romney, that's for sure. But boy, you have an evangelical say, I believe in the Bible and scripture and God is one, uh, Jesus is Lord, uh, you're a target. But also you have to look at it from another angle. Basically, they constantly set in the scene in America for Christian persecution that the church will be persecuted if we allow them. Uh, and and that's why we need to stand up as Christians. But also, look, for me, I look at myself. I Yes, first and foremost, I'm a believer in Christ Jesus. I'm a Christian. But second, I'm an American. So as an American, I have to fight for the freedoms that I have so I could continue to be the light as a Christian. Otherwise, I will lose my freedoms as a Christian and be submissive American, submissive American, slave American. So that's that's the issue. That's why we have Christians on have not been uh, vocal about defending their freedoms because they have been um, pushed down, labeled and all of that. And that's why, you know, we need to develop a thicker skin. You, yeah, they call me. They call me a racist. Great, define racism. Exactly. There's only one race. That's the human race. Exactly. Uh, uh, you know. So these are the things we need to answer and confront. You mentioned labels, and it's crucial to realize that labels can be unfairly used to trigger an emotional response, and that's what the left is trying to do. They're attacking biblical views, opposing views, using the most provocative language possible, homophobe, hater, uh, uh, bigot, uh, what, what, and what you just shared as well. But Christian nationalism is, is like I said, I, I'm not even sure what they mean by that, but well, they're trying it, it, to lump us all together. Yeah, I mean, the reason they have the loud voice because they have the platform. Yep. They got the media, they yeah. got the TV, they got the internet and all of that. But at the same time, you know, it's interesting. And I, I turn it around when if somebody says, well, we don't want your belief system. I said, okay, uh, but you are pushing your belief system as an atheist on me. So is that fair? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to run for office, run for office. But don't tell me I should not run for office. You know, just because I'm a Christian, I should not run for office. I'm an American citizen just That's like right. you are. That's right. So you have a belief system. It's called atheism. I have belief systems called biblical worldview. So uh, it's okay for you, but not okay for me. So oh. we need to we need to hold these people accountable to what they're saying. Yep, keep refuting the lies. That went by so fast, Elijah. We didn't get to that article on The View, but they are talking about God, guns, and Christian nationalism. Just keep an ear out for these things, friends. Elijah Abraham, livingoasis.org. God bless you, brother. Thanks for being with us. I appreciate you for having me. God bless you, and you have a blessed day. Thank you. You too. Next week, Andy Berger is a human trafficking survivor. She will be here uh, to talk about that on Monday. We'll also talk about the... Uh, Pride. Uh, Bill Federer will be with us on Tuesday. Historian, many of you know. Uh, Pastor Tim Stevens, you'll hear from him on Wednesday. Joe Schimmel, Good Fight Ministries Thursday. Dran Reese, Salt and Light Council Friday. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>